We are so thankful you've chosen to tune in on whatever platform you're using, whether Podbean or through Facebook or iTunes. Whatever way you're listening, I just want to say thank you for joining in. We'd love to hear from you, so drop a comment to us or email us at thegrove267 at gmail.com. If you want to know more about us as a ministry, go to hisgrove.com, or you can also check us out on Facebook at Deeply Rooted Ministries in Canton, Texas. We believe God wants to use these messages to spread His truth to a needy world, but primarily a needy church, which needs the truth of the Word to resurrect among us so that Heaven's army will be equipped to win souls and train them up in the Lord. Jesus said if we know the truth, it will set us free. So help us to bring freedom to people's lives by sharing these messages in any way you can. Now to our podcast. Well, good morning, listeners. On this brisk and beautiful morning, the snow has completely melted. I should say, actually, the ice, because here in Texas, it's not very typical that we get snow. Um, typically, we are going to get an ice storm, and we got, uh, probably, uh, by our standards, a, a doozy um, just several days ago. So we're kind of thawing out now and, and getting back to our normalcy. We're going to continue through Philippians as we hit chapter 3. If you haven't listened to chapter 1 or 2 yet, I encourage you to go do that. Chapter 1, we talked a a lot about Paul's theme throughout this entire letter about just staying on mission, making sure that we are mission-minded, that we serve as soldiers of Jesus Christ, not as civilians of this world. And then chapter 2, I kind of threw out some ideas for you guys to consider, uh, mainly because I don't ever want myself or you To just blindly accept something just because it's the status quo or because it's the normal uh, belief of the day or because it's what you've always heard. Uh, Sometimes scripture teaches things that go against what the normalcy is or what would be considered orthodox, if you will. Orthodox just simply means that which is uh, believed upon by the majority. Okay, And I'll just tell you, in the churches in America, there's a lot of beliefs that do not go in line with the word of God. And so... Throughout some of those things, wanted to get you to think, wanted to get you to study, wanted to get you to go deeper and to open your mind up to things that might be different than what you've always thought, uh, but to always allow the Word of God to be the plumb line, the standard, the foundation, and the source of truth in our life, never man's teachings, and that includes me. All I want to do is expound upon the Word of God in your life so as to give you better clarity and understanding to that Word. Um, As well as myself going through these with you guys, I learn a lot. Uh, It helps me bring confirmation, bring revelation, uh, and give confidence even in the text. So, excuse me. So we're going to keep going through our study here. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. If you're a first-time listener, thank you for joining us. And we're going to get right into this. And hopefully this is going to be something that is going to open up your um, your spiritual senses, your spiritual understanding, your spiritual mind, to be able to understand the things that, as 1 Corinthians 2 says, that God has given us to freely understand. Praise Him. All right. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, right off the bat, Paul is talking about, he's, he's been writing this, he's been declaring this, whether it's he was teaching in person to the church of Philippi, <clears throat> excuse me, or he had written previous letters. We know like the two letters we have to the church of Corinth that there was at least three because he talks about in 1 Corinthians in a previous letter. So we know that Paul had written many letters. We just don't have them all. These are the ones that the Spirit decided were canon, that they were going to be discovered and that we would have for our instruction and teaching today. And so Paul writes the same things to them. 
In 2 Peter 1, I think it's in verse 12, Paul, oh, I'm sorry, Peter talks about how he says, I intend always to remind you of these things, though you know them and are established in the truth. He says, I want you to always know these things so that you can recall them at any time. So he says, so after my departure, you may recall them at any time. Peter says, I, I, I teach the same things over and over and over and over, just like a parent under their children. They can get frustrated at times. But Peter says, I understand. I have to do this so that when I'm gone or when I'm absent and not with you even, that you can recall these things. It's like repetition in your minds. Like I get it. I know it. Though I'm established in the truth, I need to constantly be hearing this stuff again over and over and over. And as a teacher of the word, that's my aim. Is to make sure that, yes, in every one of these studies and podcasts, I oftentimes will address very similar topics all the way through. Um, our need for endurance, our need to, to, uh, to obey the scriptures, to do what God tells us, to listen to the Spirit, and, and understand what grace is. All these things I teach over and over and over. And Paul says, it's no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. Because repetition in the Word brings security in it and through it. Same thing Jesus says in John 16, 1. Uh, to his apostles. He says, I, I've said all these things to keep you from falling away, to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from going backwards. He's talking to his apostles. And he says, hey guys, there's going to be things that are going to come into your life and you're going to need to recall these things at any time. And so as Paul is going through here, he says, look guys, I'm going to write the same things to you. I'm going to say the same things over and over and over. You can study through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you can go through every Paulinian letter and you're going to find a lot of the exact same stuff. Repetition is, is one of the biggest aids in being able to remember Scripture. So stay in the Word. Even if you think you know it, keep reading it. Keep going because God, uh, He will always bring revelation to those who seek Him with a pure heart. He goes on. He says, look out for the dogs, which is a Greek word, kuon. And it means essentially it's a, a man of impurity. It's, it's just people of impurity, people who are mixed, people who have, um, you know, a little bit of the world, a little bit of heaven. It's the people who are men of mixture or of impurity. Okay. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God or in the Spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. So he, he seems to be alluding to that there's some posers among them. There's some people who are um, like what Jude 1.3 talks about, even pretty much the entire letter of Jude. People who have crept in unnoticed to the fellowship who are people of mixture. They're people who actually do some evil things, but they like to talk about how they have freedom in Christ or um, how they're under grace and it's just God's unmerited favor that nothing that they could do is going to change God's favor over their life. You know, and he says, uh, no, that's not exactly the case. Jude, he actually says in verse 3, I appeal to you to contend for the faith. That's a battle term. That's a war term. That's a fighting term. He says, I want you to rage war against those who want to turn the grace of God into a license to sin, into sensuality or licentiousness or lasciviousness. And apparently there's people who are creeping in among them, probably of the Jewish party because of verses 4 and 5. We're going to get into that in just a second of what Paul goes on to say. He says, I've got reason to boast in my flesh of what I accomplished under Torah. And these guys seem to be stating, look, 
We were circumcised on the eighth day. We were all these things. And they, they're actually impure. They're diluting the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're mixing things of old with things of new. And it seems to be that the, what he's gearing at is he seems to be people who are mixing the old covenant law of Torah with the new covenant law of Christ. He says, uh, just like Jesus talks about, he says, no, 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 you can't mix the old with the new. You can't have old wineskins and new wine. You can't have new wineskins and old wine. You're going to ruin both. Paul seems to be you know, illustrating right here that these people who are creeping in are the ones who are mixing the old covenant law of Torah or of Moses with the new covenant law of Christ. And he says, uh-uh, this ain't the case. You can't do it. He calls them dogs, evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. And he says, and he wants to make this point an emphatic point. He says, we, the church of Jesus Christ, are the circumcision. That was a title that used to be called for the Jews. Those who are physically circumcised in the flesh. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not what you need anymore to belong to God. You need, to, you need Jesus Christ to be the one who washes you and cuts away the foreskin of your heart. To belong to him. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised in the flesh or not. Paul makes that emphatically clear at the end of Galatians. That means nothing to God. But only a new creation. A new heart. As 2 Corinthians 5 talks on. He says we as the church. Whether Jew or Gentile it doesn't matter. The Jews had their chance. They were forsaken. The end of Luke 13 says that they are no longer God's people. Okay. This is a clear point, one that I see mistaught today, that people want to put their identity with Israel, and they want to go side with the Jews. And, and all throughout Paul's teachings, he's like, guys, you're missing the point. Do the Jews still have a purpose in, in God's plan to send, to send Christ and to redeem all of mankind towards the end of all things? Yes, absolutely. Just as Pharaoh had a plan in Egypt. He had a plan for Pharaoh there. He says, for this reason, I raised you up. The Jews still have... Things to fulfill and things to do, but they are no longer God's people because you are only God's people when you come in through Jesus Christ. And he says, we are the circumcision as the church of Jesus Christ. We worship by the Spirit of God and we glory in Christ Jesus because it was only through him that we were allowed access to God. It wasn't through Torah. It wasn't through Moses. It wasn't through any other means. Circumcision, washings, rituals, sacrifices, blood of bulls and goats. None of that stuff brings us to the Father. It is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ. That is our access to him. And it is our only access unto the Father. So he goes on, he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul is basically doing some of what he did in 1 Corinthians. Uh, was it 1 Corinthians where he talks about it? I, I'm now questioning myself on that one. That's when he says that... Um, yeah, I think it's 2 Corinthians he talks about. He says, I'm like a madman. Bear with me in some of my foolishness. And he starts boasting in all the things that he's accomplished and that he's done. Because that's what the false apostles were doing in the day. And so he's kind of doing the same thing. He says, look, 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 these people think that they have reasons to boast in their flesh. He says, check this out. Because these are some big things under the law of Torah. He goes, um, circumcised on the eighth day, requirements of the law of Torah. He says, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's a big list. He says, I had reason to boast in my accomplishments under the law. 
I had reason to boast in everything that I had done. People could look at me and they could say, wow, that's a great guy. Such a reputation. Man, he must really love God and God must really love him. Listen to what Paul goes on to say. This is a big point. I want you guys to understand because Ephesians 2, that whole chapter talks about how through Christ, he has abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He says, I am your access to God. It's no longer through the law. That was an intermediary. That was a guardian, a schoolmaster that was set up until Christ came. And now that Christ has come, as Galatians 3 and 4 talk about, he says, you're no longer under that schoolmaster. Once you come into Christ, you are no longer under the old covenant teaching of Moses. This is a big point because I see a lot of people, I've even seen a man apostatize from the faith because he started dabbling in trying to keep the law of Moses. And then before you know it, after a stretch of about five years, even after he was radically saved, radically gave his life to Jesus Christ, got off of drugs, got off of sexual morality, he began getting his life straight. He gave all praise, honor, and glory to Jesus Christ. And then he began to get into this law of Moses and he began going backwards. He began becoming a man of mixture. And before you know it, after a span of about three, four, five years, he apostatized from the faith and no longer believes that Jesus was the Christ simply because the law of Moses didn't say it. This is a serious deal. This man of mixture, or the dogs, as the Jews oftentimes call the Gentiles, I believe this is talking about people who are trying to mix the old and the new. Listen to what Paul goes on to say in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Sorry, I forgot to turn my phone down. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, I don't care what I had accomplished in the flesh. I don't care what I had done. I don't care my reputation. I don't care my achievements. It didn't mean anything. I, I counted it as rubbish, as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He goes on, he says, indeed, I count everything. What's he talking about here? In the context of the passage, he's talking about all his accomplishments under the law of Moses. Everything that he had done, being blameless in righteousness sake under the law, uh, his zeal of persecuting the church, he thought he was really doing the right thing. He thought he was honoring God. Being a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, he had done it all. And he says, none of that means anything now. Because I found something that's greater. I found something that has more value. I found access to the Father that doesn't come through my own works according to the law of Moses. But through faith. He goes on, he says, um, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let me, let me ask you just a quick question, listener. Do you think like that? Because Paul doesn't just specify things under the law now. That's what he was talking about. Whatever gain I had under the law, everything that I had accomplished, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss. Compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my, my Lord. Do you, do you think like that? Do you think like what Jesus teaches in Luke 14, 26-27, when he says, If anyone does not hate his father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In verse 33, Therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Do you think like that? Or are you 
someone of mixture? Are you a dog? Somebody who's trying to mix the world and mix the things of heaven. You see, the scriptures call that being double-minded. Or, as the word translates, which a lot of people, I think, would have less of an idea, dupsikos, sukos is the Greek word that's used there, and suko is the Greek word for spirit. Du is the Greek word for two. So it essentially translates not necessarily to double-minded, but to two-spirited. You're wanting to live according to the spirit of this world, the God of this world. But you also want to live according to the spirit of heaven, the God of heaven. Well, we know that the God of this world is Satan. So essentially, you're being... You, you're trying to have two masters. See, Paul's not just relegating it just to being under the law of Moses. He says everything. I count everything as lesser importance to me than knowing Christ and serving Him and living for Him because He's done something for me that no person or thing in this world could ever do. Do you think like that? Or would you analyze your life and look at it and say that you're more of a person of impurity or mixture than you are of purity? Something to think about as we keep going. Because he goes on, he says, for his sake, so for the sake of Christ, not for my own glory, not for my own reputation, but for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish, which is the Greek word shubalon. It means excrement or what is thrown to dogs. He says, everything else in my life compared to Christ is like dung. It's like manure. It's excrement. That doesn't mean that the the things in life that are good things like family or a, a spouse or you know uh, um, you know whatever you might want to throw in there it might still be a good thing. He says compared to Christ, it's like manure to me. I, I want you to wrap your mind around this because at least in America we don't. We we want to say that God has blessed me and then we hold the blessings up to the same level as the blesser. And in fact, we oftentimes um, undermine and we neglect the blesser of doing what he asks us to do, of studying his word, knowing the truth, of going deeper in the faith, living mission-minded. And we actually begin to just say, thank you, God, for all of your blessings. And then those blessings become our idols. They become our purpose for existence. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says that we exist um, for the glory of God through the person of Jesus Christ. He gave us the access and the means. And he says, our whole purpose in this life is to exist for the glory of God. To spend ourselves, to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial altar of other people's faith for the glory of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is our job in this life. It's not to just sit and enjoy the blessings. Because oftentimes those who sit and enjoy the blessings are the same ones who are committing idolatry on a daily basis. Because they are ascending the blessing equal to or greater than the blesser. And oftentimes, I'll just go ahead and say, oftentimes those quote-unquote blessings that we have in our life are simply us blessing ourselves that didn't come from God. This is, this is a huge deal because Paul is literally saying everything outside of Jesus Christ is considered manure to me. Compared to knowing Him. It's the whole concept of Ecclesiastes, of what Solomon learned at the end of his life. He says, everything under the sun is vanity. 
I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's women. I don't care if it's wisdom. I don't, I don't care what it is. Everything that your hand finds to do, as he talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, I think it's 4 through 8. He says, look, go enjoy the wife of your youth. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with joy. He says, because you're on your way to Sheol. That's where you're going. If you want to just simply enjoy this life. To a lot of people, at least in America, that's heresy. I've been in conversations with people who I try to tell them, no, we need to be mission-minded. We need to be willing to let go of our desires, our wants, even parts of our personality. And they're like, no, 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 God put that there. God gave you that gift. God gave you those things. It's like, uh, well, Galatians 5.24 says that if we want to belong to him, we have to crucify the flesh with its desires and passions, the old man. That means that if you had desires and passions and wants and ambitions and even giftings before you came to know Christ... You better darn well make sure you're filtering those things through the word to see if he even wants you to continue in those things. Because they're supposed to be crucified under the glory of Christ. We aren't intended to just enjoy this life, guys. Find our joy in Christ, yes. But enjoy this life in our short time in this world? No. Analyze the disciples, analyze the apostles, analyze the life of Christ. And you're going to find a lot of men... Who didn't, um, quote unquote, enjoy this life and just lived it up. These guys, these were guys who spent themselves for the glory of God. They lived mission minded. They were soldiers. They sacrificed. They lived simplistic and sacrificial lives. They didn't just live it up in excess and in luxury. Where, where do you fit in on that model? We, we see where Paul fits. And as he talks about in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He says, I'm not, just like me, I'm not saying these things to make you ashamed. What does he say in, in 1 Corinthians 4 after he talks to the Corinthians and he says, look guys, here's how the world sees you and how you're living in the world. And here's how we as apostles, how the world sees us and how we're living in the world. And do you see that it doesn't match up at all? You're respected and held in honor and we in disrepute. He says, you, you, you guys are the ones that are, you know, are wise in Christ according to the world. The world looks at you and thinks, oh, you're so wise. He says, and, and we're fools. Like for his sake, we are fools. He says, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed. We're buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. He says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Your life should not make sense to the world. It shouldn't look like the world. If it does, then that means that you are of the world. And you are of mixture. And these things should not be so. We see where Paul stood. Where, where are you on this? Uh, on this scale. Like, like, zero is right in the middle, okay? And then you have, like, positive ten is, is Christ-like and heavenly-minded. And the negative ten would be like Satan, okay? Where, where would you find yourself on this scale? How, how much mixture is there in you? Paul says, I, I, I sought to have no mixture whatsoever. And his life was lived accordingly. 
Listen to what he says again. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, meaning the law of Torah or of Moses. This is not referencing the law of Christ. Okay, There's two, distinction, two distinct laws. This referencing. In fact, you can go through scripture and find nine different laws. That are referenced. You have a law of faith. You have a law of works. You have works of the law. You have the law of Torah or the law of Moses. You have the law of liberty. You have the law of Christ. You keep going. You're going to find that there's distinctions between these laws. You are still under law. You're just not under the law of Moses. You still have a government over you. It's called the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's funny because I think it's in Isaiah um, let me see if I can actually search it because there's a prophecy about Christ. Um, and it's an amazing prophecy that I love to go back and to, to study, to look at. And, and I'm down here. We don't have any kind of Wi-Fi or anything like that down at the building. And so it's hit and miss as to whether or not I can find it. But it talks about that the government of God's people, after the Savior comes, after the Christ comes, the Redeemer comes, it talks about how the government shall be upon his shoulders. And I love the picture that's there because prophetically, this is referencing the cross. That which governs the people of God will no longer be the law of Moses or Torah. It'll be that which he bore on his shoulders as our example and as the imagery for us to do. To rule over us and it's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit when he talks about that there's going to be people who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And he's going, to, he's going to show you what that looks like to be an enemy of the cross. So hang in there with me. If you're not already offended because maybe you are a person of mixture and all of a sudden truth is hitting you right between the eyes and you're like, I don't really like this guy. Well, let me just tell you, I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to speak grand things and to, and to quote unquote, encourage you to be a better person. I'm not a motivational speaker. That's not what this podcast channel is about. This podcast channel is about getting you into maturity in Jesus Christ by going into the Word and knowing what it teaches and what it expects of you as a child of God so that you can endure till the end and receive what is promised, as Hebrews 10.36 says. This is what he says. He says, I counted all the things of this world as loss so that I may gain Christ. My mind goes to John 3.30. Whenever, you know, people are coming to John the Baptist and they're saying, hey, hey, Johnny boy, um, you've got people who are going, who are leaving you and going to Jesus. They're now following him, not you. And John the Baptist says this, and I think we would do well to take heed to what he says. I must decrease. He must increase. That's a, a blueprint of heaven. If you want to gain more of Christ, you must lose more of yourself. This is the blueprint. If you want to gain more of Christ, you must lose more of yourself. This is where the sanctifying process comes in. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, the flesh doesn't want to be lost, the flesh doesn't want to be crucified, the flesh doesn't want to give up and to relinquish control, it will fight. Just as Galatians 5.16 talks about where he says, the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other, and if you choose to obey the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But you have to lose more of that flesh in you, in order for the spirit 
to rise up in you and have more governance in your life and work in your life. And then you would know Christ the way that you ought to, as Paul says that he did. He says, I counted everything as lost in order or so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, the law of Moses, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. Notice who it's coming from. It's not from your own works. It's not from your ability to keep the law of Moses as it was in the old, but it's a righteousness that came from God or comes from God. That depends on faith. For as Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it is impossible to please him. Impossible. Romans 10, 1 through 4 talks about it. Well, let's see if I can flip there real quick to get to it and read it. Because he says it that what I just read, he says it right point blank, identifies everything. He doesn't hold back, he identifies everything. Paul says in Romans 10, 1 through 4, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, meaning the unbelieving Jews, those who are the Jewish party who do not believe in Christ, he says, is that they may be saved. I still love them. These are my people on this earth. Remember, he was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I still love them. He says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They love God. They have a zeal for God, but they don't know Jesus Christ. Therefore, they are not saved. Paul fit into that same category when he was Saul. You go through the word Cornelius. He was a lover of God, but he wasn't saved. Not until he found Christ. Lydia, the same thing, would give alms to the poor. She loved God. She was zealous for God, but not according to knowledge because it wasn't until she knew Jesus Christ that she got saved. Paul says, I love the Jews. I do, but they're just not his people because they haven't come in through Jesus Christ. And I have a passion and a heart's desire in my prayers that they would be saved because I see that there's potential in them, but they just don't have a zeal according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Here it is. For Christ is the end of the law, meaning the law of Moses, for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, when you come into Christ, that's the end of the righteous requirement of the law. It's no longer your standard. It's no longer what you're chasing after. Are there, are there overflow? Are there things that carry over simply because it's embodied by love? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's not your righteous standard anymore. The cross that was on the shoulder of Jesus Christ, as he says, that you bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's our standard. That's our law. As he talked about in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, meaning that you count others more significant than yourselves. It's a law of love to where you sacrifice yourself for people, even if they don't deserve it. He goes on in verse 10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is present tense and moving into the future. Paul says, this is what I'm doing in order to know him more, in order to look more like him. Let me just tell you, if you came to Christ 
And in that moment you say, God, I don't want to live for myself. I, I, I'm crucifying my flesh with its desires and passions. And I, I, want to, I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to honor you. And I want to make you the Lord of my life. And he says, okay, okay, okay. Here's my spirit. You're saved. You've been sanctified. You've been redeemed. Did you know that you have to keep doing this every day of your life in order to follow Christ? It's not a one-time decision in which, yes, you got saved, you were redeemed, and then these things begin happening in you, and then you can just sit on it. Luke 9.23 says that if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow after me. You have to crucify the flesh every day. You have to deny your wants and your desires every day in order to follow and imitate him. Paul says here, I'm doing this so that I may know him. He already knew him. He isn't saying, I did this so that I could know him. He says, so that I may know him. And he says, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings again, future or present and future tense, not past. He says, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, this is a famously quoted passage that I think that a lot of people minimize or even ignore what Paul's really teaching here. And I could go in through several different passages or even in Galatians 5.5, 5, Paul says, I wait eagerly for the hope of righteousness, meaning he has not fully attained it yet. He has access to it. He has a place of righteousness that he can go into Unto the throne of grace. But he's still waiting for the hope of righteousness on that day of Christ. Now you might not understand what that means. And I'm not going to make this message entirely about that. What I will tell you is that Paul is saying this. He says, I'm pressing on. I'm doing what I need to. Every single day I crucify my flesh. Every single day I am trying to have a clear conscience. Every single day I die Every day so that I can follow Jesus the way that he is needing to be followed, the way that he commands for his people to follow him. And I love him so much that I want to know him more and more and more. Just like a husband and a wife who know each other. Gnosko is the Greek term and it means an intimate um, acquaintance. It's an intimacy that's theirs, the koinonia, the fellowship, that sharing and intercourse even if you will. He says, I want to know him and I want to know him more. But in order to do that, he knows that he needs to let go of everything. And he needs to let go more and more and more of himself in order to know more and more and more of Christ. And then he goes on, he says, and I'm doing this so that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Notice what he said. He put a condition to it. It's not a foregone conclusion just because he gave his life to the Lord at one time. He knows that he has to continue to endure in order to attain the promise. Hebrews 10.36, you have need of endurance. That after you've done the will of God, you'll receive what is promised. Has God promised to resurrect those, to, to bring unto ascension those who endure and are faithful to the end in Christ? Absolutely, that promise is yours if you endure to the end. Matthew 10.22, the one who endures to the end will be saved. You have a job to do. And that simple job is wrapped up in three words, keep your position. That's it. It's not an amount of bad works or good works that you have to do or not do. It's not you have to you know, do this a certain way for a certain amount of time. No, it's not that. 
Jesus gave a parable of people who came to work in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, and they all got the same reward. It's simply keep your position. That's it. And how do you have your position? By faith. 2 Peter 1 talks about it. It says that His divine nature is granted to us all things according to His promise and His... his um, uh, no, sorry. I'm pretty sure it's 2 Peter. Uh, nope, it's actually 1 Peter. Um, I get those always mixed up because it's a very similar message in chapter 1 in both of the books. Um, where he talks about, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. You see, it's, it's a means of faith in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the works that you supplement to that faith will either make that faith strong or weak. But Paul understood this. He says, by any means, by anything that I can do, any way that I can make sure that in the end that I keep my position because God has promised that all those who are in Christ on that last day will be resurrected unto eternal glory with Him. This is why Romans 8.17 says um, a very similar concept that Paul even states that we are children of God and the Spirit Himself expands expresses that we are children and that we will be heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we, Paul includes himself, suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul includes himself. He says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27 when at the end he says that I exercise self-control. I make sure that I do this. No one else. He's not identifying whether he was truly a believer or not. I would hope that we would think that he was. He says, lest after preaching to others, I myself would be disqualified if he gave up running this race. Paul says that I could be unfit for the test, unfit for the journey, unfit for the race. Adokimos is the Greek word. It says after being tested as metal, being unfit to be used. Paul says, I would be disqualified from this race if I gave up. And I think we're pretty sure that Paul was a true believer. So he says, by any means possible, I would attain the resurrection from the dead. Now check this out. Because remember what I said. The promise has been given, but it's a conditional promise of being in Christ in the end. Of enduring till the end. Of having perseverance to the end. To prove ourselves worthy of the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1, 3-8 talks about. Where he says that Christ is going to come. You're suffering things for heaven's sake. You're suffering things for Christ's sake. On this earth. In order to prove you worthy of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's going to come back one day. And he's going to inflict vengeance on those who don't know him. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think that you can just pray your little prayer, ask Jesus into your heart, and that's the end of it. You have a job to do. You have to stay on mission, and you need to keep your position. So the promise is there, but it's, those, it's for those who endure by the grace that God will so abundantly supply in your life. He goes on, he says, not that I have already obtained this. What's he talking about? The resurrection from the dead. He says, not that I've already obtained it. Obviously, it hasn't already happened. I've been promised it, but I haven't already obtained it. And then he makes a distinction. He says, or I'm already perfect or complete. It's only been promised. 
Listen to what he goes on to say. But I press on to make it, meaning perfect completion, essentially looking like Christ. He says, I'm not already like Christ. I haven't ascended to that place where I'm walking like Christ, but I believe it's possible. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? I've received everything I need for a life of godliness. James 1, 2-4 talks about it. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its perfect work in you, its full effect, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says, it's been promised. The grace is afforded to me to look like Christ. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm pressing on to make it my own. But he also says, The resurrection of the dead. I've been promised that. I haven't attained it yet. The promise is there, but I haven't gotten it yet. But I'm pressing on so that by any means possible, I make sure that I'm going to get that in the end by keeping my position in Christ. I hope you're with me on this one because this is a big thing. He goes on and says, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He brought me into the family. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, going back to verses 3 and 6. Forgetting what lies behind, forgetting all the accomplishments I did under the law of Moses. Forgetting even the law of Moses. And straining forward to what lies ahead. Everything he just talked about in the previous 5 or 6 verses. I press on, dioko, to run swiftly in order to catch something, to pursue earnestly. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I have my hope set that one day I will be resurrected, that one day this body will be no more, that one day this lowly body God will transform and he'll make me look more like Christ and the former things will fade away. There will be no more tears as Revelation 21, 4 talks about where he says there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more sadness. No, The former things have passed away. He says, that's my aim. I will do whatever I need to do to attain that hope. The hope that is found in Christ Jesus. You want to know what your hope of glory is in the end? His name is Christ. That's why it says Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not in what you can do, what you can't do. It's is Christ in you and are you in him on that last day? That's all it is. And the works that you supplement to that faith is what allows you to either strengthen that faith or to have that faith shrink and shrivel and possibly even die, as Hebrews 6 talks about. This is a serious message. And it's one that I hope that you're looking at the Word of God for what it says, not just blindly receiving something because it's what you were always taught or what you always thought, or even what you want Scripture to say. This is what scripture says. All I'm doing is reading to you what it says and I'm giving you verses that uphold it. I'm not taking anything out of context. I'm simply reading what the text says. I'd encourage you to go read Hebrews 6, 4-6 through 6, and go tell me what you think. It goes on, that upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is part of what Philippians 2.12 is talking about when he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You have a job to do. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. He says, you, you might not understand this. And Paul is saying, I, I get it. 
I'm speaking these things to you and and maybe you just don't fully grasp it yet. Maybe you're still having to be refined and sanctified into the truth. He says, but if you're truly seeking God, if you truly want to know it and you're humble before Him, He says, then He'll he'll reveal it to you. You'll get it. You'll understand it. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, sometimes people use this as a cop-out to not have to seek after. It's like, well, I'm pretty content with what I've gotten. I don't really have to seek anymore. Well, that's not exactly what Paul's trying to state here. He says, you might have a, a beginning place. You might be walking out onto that diving board. But you need to keep walking, and then you need to start jumping and see where that springboard takes you to. Because if you're just going to stand there or maybe sit down on that diving board and not do anything else, God's not pleased. This is what he talks about in 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy 2.15, where he says, Study to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the word of God. You need to study to show yourself approved. You need to know what the truth says. One of my biggest pet peeves is whenever I'm at a disagreement with somebody about what is doctrinally stated and I give them some things that they can't respond back to. And then they just sit there. And weeks go by, they don't study it out. Months go by, they don't study it out. They're just sitting there content to believe what they've always thought, even though they can't answer. I once had a pastor that I was meeting with when we were talking about um, women being in leadership in the church over men, teaching doctrine over men, despite what First Timothy chapter 2 talks about where he says, I do not permit women to exercise authority over men or to teach over men. It means to teach doctrine or to have authority in the church or in the home over men. And we had this discussion and he shared a couple, I don't even know if he had verses as much as it was ideas. So I shared all the verses that I had in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 and talked about various things. I know one of his was that Prisca and Aquila are mentioned in scripture and Prisca was listed first. So obviously she had the authority. And at the time I knew, uh, because I had studied it out, that six times in scripture Prisca and Aquila were mentioned and three times Aquila was mentioned first, three times Prisca was. So where are we at? We're at a 50-50 toss-up, right? Well, scripture's not a 50-50 toss-up gray area. It's black and white. So I shared the verses that I had. I talked about the qualifications for elders in the church being the Greek word aner, and which, it, which means man. And that gune is the Greek word for woman. They're not interchangeable. Paul specifically used that in Titus 1 and in 1 Corinthians 3. And so we get to the end, and he's like, I said, okay, so, so what do you have to say to, to these? Like, do you have anything to refute them? Like, let's iron this out. Let's talk about this. He's like, I can't refute what you're saying. I can't refute the scriptures that you're using. They say what they say. And I said, okay, so how do we move forward? What do we do? And he says, I still choose to believe what I do. I was like, well, then I can't sit under that. If you're going to look at the word of God and say, I'm going to refuse to heed what it says. Then we have a problem. And so I'm going to tell you, listener, this is what the Word of God says. And you might not, you might not agree with it yet. You might be soaking it up. You might be just thinking about it. But here's the deal. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to study with an open mind to say, Okay, God, Holy Spirit, please reveal to me what is true. Please take me deeper in the Word. I want to know. And then with humility and an open mind to say, let the word of God speak to me and refine me and teach me and spirit lead me into all truth and start studying to know what it is you believe. What are you going to do with it? Let's keep going. Paul says in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. I love that verse. 
Because Paul's talking about, hey, hey, I, I don't, I'm not fully completed to look like Jesus Christ yet. It's been promised to me, and I'm pressing on to make it my own. That perfection, that completeness, teleo is the Greek word that's used there. He says, I want to look just like Jesus. And Paul has reached his place where he's not like most pastors today. He's like, hey guys, I'm just like you. If you knew who I was, and that y'all wouldn't want me to be your pastor. If you knew the things that I thought, which I've heard this from pastors, then you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. Paul's like, hey guys, imitate me. <laughs> That's a pretty bold statement for Paul to say, brothers, join in imitating me. Because if you need a physical representation of who Jesus is, look at me. I might not be fully there, but I'm getting close by the grace of God. He goes on, he says, And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. So not only was it Paul, but now there's a plurality form there of saying there's multiple people who are seeking to look like Jesus and have gotten pretty close. Isn't that an amazing concept? I don't know where you're at, but at least in America... We have this whole sentiment of thinking we're just sinners saved by grace and the power of God can never overcome the flesh in my life. I'm just going to be a sinner. That's just who I am. That's my lot in life. And Praise God, He loves me anyways. And while there's a, a shadow of truth to some of that, that's not the reality. And it definitely isn't what Scripture teaches. He goes on, he says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Check this out. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Remember what I said was supposed to be the government of our lives? The cross. That's what's supposed to be on our shoulder. We're supposed to bear that cross on a daily basis as our government in this life of us being dead unto the glory of God for the purposes of God. We are soldiers at the will of God. We are, we are bond servants as the word talks about. And he's our master. He's not just our sidekick. He, he's not a homeboy. He's not just our friend. He's our master. He's our Lord. Kurios. He is our Lord. And we are under his governance to do his will, not our own. Even Jesus. Not my will, but your will be done. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. I want you to notice something. He didn't say that they're enemies of Christ. He says it was enemies of the cross of Christ. And I want to tell you something. What this is stating is that there are going to be people in the fellowship. There are going to be people among you. There are people who are going to be slipping in secretly into your services and into your fellowships. Who they will claim Christ. They will claim that Jesus Christ is their Savior. But they will deny him as master and Lord. It's what Jude 1 talks about in the first three through five verses. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so they're denying the cross. They're denying that they have to serve him. In the way that he says it needs to be. And what does this look like? Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They do whatever they want. They're not, they, they, they don't have um, a, a regulator on, on their flesh. They give in to it. They do what they want to. They spend their money how they want to. They invest their time the way that they want to. They do things according to the flesh because it's what makes them feel good, but yet Jesus is still their Savior. He says, They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. One of the biggest cursors of somebody who is not really in Christ or at the bare minimum they are in Christ, but they're an infant. 
is that their mind is set on earthly things. That's across the board. Anything that is earthly, if your mind is set there, then you're either an infant in Christ who just doesn't know better, who's still of the flesh, or you're a deceived person who thinks you are, but you haven't come to know Jesus Christ yet. Colossians 3 says to set our minds on things above where Christ is, see at the right hand of God. This is exactly what Paul's talking about in verse 20. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. That word is politeuma, and it means our government or our kingdom. And it's where we get the Greek, the English word politics. He says, our government, our kingdom, our political structure is nothing of this earth. Let me just tell you real quick. If you say you're a Christian and you're involved in earthly politics, <clears throat> I'm going to question whether or not you know God. And that's a bold statement because a lot of people think that we need to make a difference in this country. We need to make a difference in this world. <clears throat> but I'm going to tell you, all you're doing is showing that your citizenship is not in heaven because I guarantee you the governance of heaven is different than any government of this world. I guarantee you. You can't serve both. You can't serve heaven and serve this world. Jesus even talked about it. He says, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would be fighting. But my kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, my servants don't fight for any kingdom of this world because their citizenship is in heaven. He says, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we're waiting for this lowly body to be transformed into the perfect image of Jesus Christ. And one day that will come. And we might or might not ever <clears throat> get to look like Jesus on this side of heaven. But just as Paul says, he pressed on to make it his own. In fact, even Hebrews 12, I think it's in verse 12 or maybe it's 14 where it says um, <clears throat> that strive for holiness. I think it's strive for peace and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let me just tell you, if you're not striving to look like Christ in everything, if you're not striving unto perfection... You won't ever see him. He won't reveal himself to you in a deeper way. You won't know him deeper like what Paul was stating that he wanted. You won't. Paul pressed on. Dioko. It means that he was pursuing or pressing towards a goal. He was given unto something to follow after. He was running swiftly in order to catch something. He was seeking in order to find. He wasn't just knocking on that door not thinking it was going to open. He was chasing after perfection. He was chasing after Christ. Because he wanted to intimately know him more. Christian, are you doing that in your life right now? If you're not, you ask yourself the question, why? What's come between you and him? What's of more or equal importance to you? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it money? Is it reputation? Well, I want to encourage you, just as Paul said. Count everything as lost for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. And watch what he does in your life. If you're willing to let go more of who you are and what your wants out of life are, then God will be willing to increase who he is more in your life. Y'all be blessed.